Being a rabbi or disciple in the first century wasn't an easy thing. It was actually a very challenging existence, but it was full of life. And in this episode, we're going to fill in a few more of the pieces of the rabbinical world to give us a more composite picture of what it was like to be a rabbi or disciple in Jesus's day. And hey, if after watching this teaching, if you find it helpful, like this video, subscribe to our channel, and share this with someone you think could benefit. All right, let's dive into part seven of Rabbis and Disciples. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the teaching series podcast. I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. I created the teaching series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. Please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. We are on the home stretch for rabbis and disciples as we only have one more episode after this one. And we have already thus far covered a ton of ground, but we've got a few more pieces to put in place to fill out the world of rabbis and disciples in Jesus's day. So thus far, we have talked about education. We've talked about authority. We've talked about the calling of the disciples. We've talked about the discipleship nature of the first century world. In our last episode, we talked about occupation and we talked about on the heels of that hospitality and the need for ministry support based on how the occupation worked. And so in this episode, there are three more facets I want to look at. I want to talk about the age of a sage. I want to talk about the itinerant lifestyle of rabbis and disciples. And then I want to conclude by talking about the cost. And so let's jump in with age of a sage. That just is fun to say. Uh, throughout this series, we have been showing you this slide about becoming a Talmud, a disciple. And you have seen that at the age of 30, one could become a rabbi. And I've mentioned that on several occasions. Where does this come from? What's the backdrop to a rabbi becoming a rabbi at the age of 30? Well, let me show you a couple of different passages. Let's begin with a passage in the Mishnah, which again was compiled in roughly 200 AD. And so it is after the time of Jesus, but there are aspects to the Mishnah that predate Jesus by a couple of hundred years. And so we don't know if this is exactly what was going on in Jesus's day, but we do know shortly thereafter that this is the pattern for the development of a Jewish boy. And so you have seen this from Perkei Avot, the ethics or the sayings of the fathers, 521 has all of these anchoring ages throughout the development of a Jewish boy. 
And in the last part of the quote I have up here, it says, at 30, for entering one's full vigor. Now, many scholars believe that this is referencing becoming a rabbi. And so I wanted to show you that because we have been working through this in, in this particular series. But we've actually got some anchoring passages from the Hebrew scriptures, which is really helpful because anything that was developed in the religious world of Jesus's day always had a precedent back into the Hebrew scriptures, which was their Bible. It was Jesus's Bible. It was Paul. Bible. And so the anchoring passage for age 30 for the rabbis came from Numbers 4, 1 to 3. This was in connection to the Levites. So it says here in Numbers 4, 1 to 3, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi by their clans and their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old all who can come on duty to do the work in the tent of meeting. So Levites began their ministry at the age of 30. And by the way, this reference to 30 shows up seven times here in Numbers chapter 4. And the Levites were the spiritual leaders of the people. And by extension, the rabbis served a role of being a spiritual leader among the people leading up to and during Jesus's day. And so it was because of, by extension, the Levite age to the rabbinic age that 30 was used to commission a rabbi into his service. And so Luke tells us in Luke 3.23 that Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And in our last episode, I talked about the about and why I thought Luke was including that. But one of the things I did say is I believe Luke was connecting Jesus into the rabbinical system of the day. And what's fun is that when you go, okay, Jesus was about 30, are there any other significant characters in the Bible who did something significant at 30? And you go back to 2 Samuel 5, 4, and you realize David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Abraham and David are like the two most important characters in the Hebrew scriptures for the Jewish people and their heritage. An everlasting kingdom was promised to David's house, his descendants. Jesus is a son of David, very overt expression demonstrated in the gospel story. And what's so cool is that David became king at 30 and Jesus launched into his ministry as a rabbi at the age of 30 as a son of David. You know, so really cool. And then if you stretch even further back into Genesis 41, 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So we've got really cool connections in the Hebrew scriptures that just have some fascinating parallels to the age of 30. Now, once you became a rabbi, as you know from this series, you're waiting for people to come to you to ask to be part of your Talmudim. Jesus is an exception. He goes and chooses 
disciples. And once you have done that, rabbis entered into an itinerant lifestyle. This was the norm. This was not an exception. This was the norm. And you would go about from village to village, town to town, and literally when Jesus calls his disciples or the first four, the pair of brothers on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, follow me, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to be following after Jesus. And Jesus may at times tell them where they're going. At other times, it's just follow me. Because part of the process of learning what it was to be like your rabbi was to emulate your rabbi in any and every situation. And so there are times where Jesus doesn't want his disciples to know what experience he is crafting for them because there's going to be significant learning in the shock of it or the surprise of it. Other times, you know, Jesus probably told them where they were going, but you would be following after your rabbi wherever he went, whatever he did. And so we've mentioned in this series that the goal of a disciple wasn't to know what the rabbi knew. It was to be who the rabbi was. It wasn't just a transfer of knowledge. It was a transfer of lifestyle. And so I love how Lois de Verberg very succinctly puts this in Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. She says, the mission of a rabbi was to become a living example of what it means to apply God's word to one's life. For the rabbi, for the disciples, it was all about the word of God. And how do you embody that? And a rabbi's primary mission was to embody the very words of God because his disciples are going to emulate him. And the goal was to train your disciples in a way to faithfully walk out the word of God in the world. And so you see this in the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and it is through this itinerant lifestyle where Jesus is going from place to place. And we have several passages in the Gospels that articulate this. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus is serving the larger community, but in the process, he is training his disciples. He's going throughout Galilee. The disciples are following, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, healing diseases, helping the people. You've got this here in the Gospels. Uh, Mark 6.6 says that on the heels of a story, it says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith, and then says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And it's not just teaching in the synagogues from village to village. It's teaching anyone who would want to listen in. And so in our last episode, we highlighted a quote that we've looked at in this series. Let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis and cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. Again, from Perke Avot, the sayings or the ethics of the fathers. So people would open up homes and the rabbi would come in and the disciples would be in tow and then people would pack in to listen to the rabbi. In fact, we have a fascinating story 
in the Gospels where Jesus is in someone's home in Capernaum and all of a sudden dirt starts falling from the rafters, from the ceiling. And a little bit later on, a paralytic is lowered into the middle of the room. I mean, this was not some, you know, covert mission like everybody knew something is happening. And the house would have been jam-packed. It would have been an incredible scene to be on site to experience. So you would be in homes. Yes, you would be in synagogues. And there are several synagogues around the Sea of Galilee that date to the time of Jesus. Um, this particular story, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, this is the traditional location of where that took place. And what's cool is when you look carefully at how Matthew tells the story in Matthew 5, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, so this is one of those moments where all of a sudden there's a massive crowd and Jesus goes, I need to get somewhere where we can all sit down and discuss the text. But when you read it carefully, it says, when Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Who's the them? Yeah, it is the larger crowd, but it is first and foremost, always the disciples. A rabbi's goal was to, to train his disciples first and foremost. That was the primary audience. And then there was a larger audience that got to partake as well. And so the disciples would be asking questions, the audience would be asking questions, and the entire experience was learning for the larger crowd, but it was always primary learning for those disciples. And so Jesus is on the countryside, mountainside, hillsides teaching. Uh, at other times he's walking along and you've got parables of wheat and tares. Now, I would imagine that either Jesus was standing in front of wheat and tares when he gave that parable, or it was something that the disciples just knew from everyday experience. And in our parable series, we talked about the brilliant nature of parables and how Jesus did not invent the parable. He perfected the parable, but this was the primary teaching means for rabbis. And you would tell stories, parables drawn from everyday life because you wanted your teaching to go on, you know, indefinitely. And so the idea was, is that if you took something from everyday life or if you were actually standing in front of wheat and tares and you gave your teaching, your spiritual truth connected to that physical location, then every single time you, the, the crowd or the disciples would come across wheat and tares, they would go, oh, Jesus did a parable on that. And you recalled the teaching of the rabbi because of the physical location. And so rabbis taught under trees. They taught out in nature. You know, you've got uh, a photo like this I took in the Galilee in the springtime a number of years ago. And every time I see this photo, I'm reminded of what Jesus said when he said, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. It's just a great picture and it's a great opportunity to connect a spiritual truth to a physical reality. Now you have the parable of the soils where it says there was such a large crowd that Jesus got in a boat and went off in shore and then spoke to the people. And this is the traditional location of the cove of the sower where Jesus gave that. So part of the itinerant lifestyle was that you went from village to village, from town to town, to train people, to teach the text. That's what rabbis did. 
but his primary audience is always his disciples. And it's not, again, just a transfer of knowledge. It's a transfer of lifestyle. How is the rabbi responding in these impromptu situations? How is he responding in the midst of a heated debate? What happens when this person has a need? What happens when this question arises? It's all about not only what the rabbi says, it's what they do. And the itinerant lifestyle allowed rabbis to reach out and to help the needs of the larger community, as well as to have a plethora of experiences to train their disciples in. Uh, and of course, you're teaching also at the temple. We've got a ton of stories of Jesus teaching in the temple precincts. And so that is the, the itinerant lifestyle. And when you just look at that and you go, that is so cool how Jesus did that. It has been so cool to be a disciple of Jesus's and all the things that we've looked at in the series. And it is. But there is something that is often overlooked when you're understanding rabbis and disciples in Jesus's day. And that was the cost. This lifestyle came at a great cost. You are on the go. You're trekking through the dusty hillsides of Galilee. Uh, you are training teenagers and Peter early 20s. You are engaging in debates. You're entering into challenging circumstances. Like this was not an easy lifestyle. And there's a humanity to Jesus that I think we often miss. That Jesus gets tired. He gets frustrated. He gets hungry. He's annoyed with the discussion that some of his disciples have about being the greatest. You have these challenging circumstances that arose. This was the life of a rabbi. It came at a cost. It was not easy. It was not easy on families. I mean, one of the references we have is that if a disciple was going to be gone for more than 30 days, they had to ask their wife's permission. Now, there was great pride in families and in spouses that if you were married to a disciple, a Talmud, that that would not have been something that a wife would have been bitter about. It seems to be something that a wife would have praised her husband, that he was a disciple, he was training, and he was learning from a learned rabbi. That was about pride. That was about a good sense of pride, but it was hard as well. And we all know that the most difficult things in life um, are challenging, but there is great upswing to it as well. And there's just a, a number of ways in which we see this being played out in the text. Uh, let me just show you one passage on just the difficult nature. Uh, Luke 9, 57 to 58, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's like Jesus is saying, count the cost, because even I don't have a place to lay my head. Now, some of you go, but wait a minute, didn't Jesus have a place he stayed at in Capernaum, which was his home base? Yes, he did. Uh, an aerial photo of Capernaum here, you've got the synagogue, and then you've got this building structure, and underneath this building is where it believe, is believed that Peter's mother-in-law's house was and where Jesus stayed when he was in Capernaum. But understand, he's staying at someone's house. Jesus is like, this is about the difficult nature of discipleship and the lifestyle that comes with it. It's like Jesus is saying, count the cost. Uh, there's a cost to it. And uh, probably one of my favorite quotes uh, in connection to the hard lifestyle of 
the rabbis and the disciples actually came from a rabbi himself. It's recorded in Perkei Avot, again, Ethics of the Fathers, 6.4. This is what a rabbi said about the rabbi life. He says, this is the path of Torah. A morsel with salt shall you eat, and you shall drink water by measure and sleep upon the ground and live a life of painfulness, and in Torah shall you labor. But if you do this, happy shall you be, and it shall be well with you. You will be happy in this world, and it shall be well with you in the world to come. Oh, I love this because the first half is all about the cost, but the second half is it is worth it. But friends, this is the life of a rabbi and a disciple. It wasn't easy but there was life in it. You know, we started this entire series by asking the question, why did Jesus come as a Jewish rabbi? Why didn't he come as something else? And the answer is that the people understood the centrality of God's word in their life. That the entire religious Jewish world was centered around God's word and discipleship. And when Jesus came into human existence, as John 1 tells us, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That Jesus took on the very words of God as the word of God and embodied in the purest form what God's will and God's way looks like in the world. Jesus recognized this is how my mission will go forth, is when people understand what the word of God says and then embody that in their lives and then teach others to do the same. That's how God's kingdom will advance here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I love how Lois de Verberg summarizes the life of a rabbi and the life of Jesus where she said, like other rabbis, Jesus walked the land, taught in parables, engaged in debates, interpreted scripture, and raised up disciples. Like this is what the rabbis did. But what makes Jesus so distinct and so different is what we're going to talk about in our final episode, and I can't wait for that. But in the raising up disciples, Jesus was training his disciples to live his understanding of God's word and its application in the world. And yes, the mission of a rabbi was to embody the word of God because his disciples will be embodying him, but ultimately a rabbi wanted his teachings to go forth in the world. And friends, that is what we get to do. We get to continue the words and the lifestyle of Jesus in the world by not only understanding them, but embodying them, living them out, and teaching others to do the same. And yes, it's hard, but friends, it's worth it. May we do that in our world today. So friends, there you go. Part seven, rabbis and disciples. We've got one more final episode that I can't wait to get to, but this gives us a lot to chew on right now. So friends, thanks so much for watching. Thanks for listening. And as always, may you walk out the text well in your life. 